Okay, good. We are live once again after a, yeah, briefly a break for for vacations. Uh, and uh, hello everyone. Uh, Security Breath podcast here. Um, this is the twenty second episode. Yeah, and I'm so glad to have here with me uh, Mason. Hi Mason, how are you? Hi, hi. Good afternoon, good morning to everyone. So I believe we are in the different time zone. <laughs> yeah. So I hope everyone have a good time. Yeah, we were just, you know, uh, briefly discussing about it. I love the fact that we can reach out to so many people, you know, in, in many different regions. Uh, I know it can be uh, tricky for someone with, uh, you know, maybe we're live during the night for, for someone out there. Uh, but, you know, uh, just a um, very, very small reminder so uh, this is the Security Bread podcast, uh, just a little project of mine where I invite cool people like Mason here uh, to discuss about some recent stories uh, from the security realm. And um, this is, of course, live on YouTube. Uh, if you're there, uh, you know, uh, watching this live, please consider, you know, subscribing and hitting that uh, notification button because you're just letting me know that you, uh, you like this and I should do more. So it's a, it's a feedback that I, I will really, really appreciate. Uh, but if you're not able to uh, watch this live, of course, this is going to be uh, uploaded. Uh, you know, the recordings are going to be uploaded on YouTube itself. Uh, but also I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, take the audio and re-upload the, the, this on uh, Spotify and, you know, uh, other podcast platforms. So uh, just so you know. So thank you uh, if you're uh, going to watch this live. Uh, but you know, Mason, maybe someone, uh, doesn't know you. So would you like to uh, introduce yourself maybe? So, yeah, first of all, uh, thanks for this opportunity. It's a great pleasure to be here with you today. And thanks for the whole audience to taking their time and joining us for this podcast. So I am Mason Aslahi. I'm a cybersecurity practitioner at the moment, working as an executive director, uh, for the old Blue team and red team related service uh, service line with the EC Council Global Services, which is the consultancy division of the EC Council family. Uh, so, 20 years in the IT, 16 dedicated to the cybersecurity, uh, mainly in the threat hunting, incident response, digital forensic, red teaming, and penetration testing. In my free time, I do this kind of activities also to share the knowledge with the others and also gain the knowledge from the others. So I do YouTube, nothing cyber, and at the moment I'm doing the series on the Threat Hunting 101 for the beginners. And I'm super active in the LinkedIn, so feel free to connect and we can have more potential collaborations. So thanks again for the opportunity. No problem at all. Actually, thanks, thanks to you for, for joining me and accepting the invite. Um, uh, so just uh, just um, you know um, an invite to all the people watching this. You have the YouTube chat in there. Please, 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 you know, use that to comment, ask questions, and you know, contribute to the discussion because that's the the main uh, objective of this uh, this project, right? I'm gonna you know discuss some news together with Mason, but I'm uh, I really want would like to you know include all of the people watching this in the conversation because I really think that uh, the value is on uh, you know uh, the uh, the background and the knowledge and the skills that all of the people uh, discussing can uh, can put in the conversation itself. So uh, we're uh, we will have a look at the um, uh, the chat. So if you're gonna comment, uh, we can also 
uh, you know, interact with, with you guys. So thank you for that. Cool. Um, so here's here's the plan. I'm gonna share my screen with some news we um, we selected from the last I don't know uh, seven to ten days around, and I'm gonna introduce them. Then we we will start having a little discussion about it. So uh, here we go. Here's the first one. So okay, before we continue, so I would like just to highlight a very typical disclaimer that whatever I share here is my own opinion and nothing to do with my current employer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually very good. I, I never do that, but I should definitely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, I just forgot to say that, you know, uh, may some contacts will be uh, shared on the description of the YouTube video. So, uh, you know, I don't know, it's LinkedIn profile or whatever. It's gonna be there, so uh, you know. Have a look at the description after after the, the live uh, is uh, is gone. Cool. So um, let's let's start with this. This uh, this was actually pretty big in the news uh, just you know last week or something. So I I really uh, say you know we have to talk about this um, because you know uh, it's it's interesting to see. Okay, this was big, but why and uh, uh, what are all, all of the different implications in the, the news itself, right? So the story itself is talking about the uh, US SEC organization that apparently is uh, some, uh, some financial regulator, okay? And about their uh, Twitter, or I should say X account right now, um, that, that was compromised, okay? So we don't have much information about how the account itself was compromised. They mentioned something about the, the phone number uh, that, that is connected to the to the account that was compromised. So I'm assuming, this is just an assumption, but I'm assuming some sort of uh, SIM swap attack uh, that in the US especially is it's pretty, pretty common. Uh, if you don't know this, I, I, Mason, I actually like to explain every, every you know, uh, uh, acronym or any or any term that we use, right? So if you don't know about this, uh, SIM swap is some kind of attack that uh, basically uh, targets your own uh, uh, service provider and your own phone number, okay, uh, where they try to reassign your phone number uh, to uh, to the attacker's identity so they can use your phone number on a new SIM uh, instead of you. When they do this, if, for example, you're using your phone number for a, a second factor authentication for any account out there, right, you can receive the, uh, the one-time password or just the... Uh, the code um, instead of the uh, real owner of the account, right? And uh, as I said, it's pretty common uh, for um, for the US, unfortunately. Um, not sure why, maybe because of the controls that are in place at the service provider level, I think. Uh, so again, just an assumption, but that could be the case. Now, the thing was that uh, the X account was compromised and the attackers uh, or scammers or whatever uh, use the accounts to post some messages uh, regarding, uh, uh, you know, some approval uh, about Bitcoins or cryptocurrency uh, ETFs, something. The point was that they basically manipulated the cryptocurrency market. So many people watched the, you know, looked at the, the post on Twitter and then uh, decided, oh, well, maybe I should buy more. More cryptocurrency or more, more Bitcoin, so you know the the price skyrocketed for um, for a bit. So um, you know that's the thing. The point is that 
this was a very, very official and formal um, uh, organization. And the, you know, the account on X is the public image of that organization in the US. So it's a very um, big, uh, I would say, uh, image damage for them, for sure. And um, uh, the fact that they were able to manipulate a financial market of some kind where when this organization itself it's a um, financial regulator it's a it's a pretty big deal now uh, I will probably focus on uh, a few things here uh, first of all uh, is it really a big deal like what I mean is that um, this account was probably held by some uh, I don't know social media manager or something it's not really an internal account so I would like to discuss about, about this thing right here with you, Mason, and uh, what they could have done to maybe to prevent it or what they could have done different, right, um, compared to, to what happened. So uh, I'd like to see what's your first thought about this. Uh, what did you think about when you, when you read this? This is a very uh, good question that this is the significant incident or not. To me, yes, because... The people or authority behind that account is not like normal user like me. That so if I open my social media now and put something, so the chance that I'm going to affect any market or only things in the social life or anything is almost zero. But when you are attached to the organization, to the authorities, to the decision makers, everything matters when we go when it goes to the social media, especially the comments like this. As you highlighted, a simple comments about a new rules that's supposed to get some approval or disapproval faked and put up on the that account that says that okay this is approved and because of that there is a high spike in the in the bitcoin market so having said that uh, when it comes to the cyber security normally we are always uh, focusing on the assets and especially uh, we look for the high value assets and start to take thinking strategies, taking strategies to protect them. I always try to say is that uh, behind every assets, there is a user. So in addition to the high value assets, we should take care of the high risk users as well. The users who access to those data, work with that data, or somehow have impact on the business or social life or even the commercial life. So having said that, even if that account is controlled by a admin so monitoring the account as a high value asset alone is not enough we definitely should take care of the user behind that account which is considered as a high risk user most probably he's the one who has that phone number and the phone get somehow hijacked and the attacker can manipulate and uh, do the man in the middle for the uh, two-factor authentication and get access to the twitter account yeah or that's that's we are still not used to. <laughs> no, no problem. Uh, that, that's that's right. And you said something that really, uh, you know, triggered me. The fact that we you know we all in the industry always say, oh, if you if you have to start securing your your organization, you first need to know where are your which are and where are your assets, right? And most of the time, we are all always uh, referring to. Uh, you know, devices, machines, hosts, or whatever you want to call them. So you want to know where your servers are, either in on-premises or in the cloud, or if you have any um, organization um, uh, handled, uh, maybe mobile devices, 
or or any uh, or any other thing. But you're right in saying that also, especially with cloud technologies nowadays, accounts are you know another type of asset that is really really crucial. But I think this is also on another level, right? Even if you say so, and an admin starts to you know uh, discover whatever um, accounts they are using in their environment, this is something pretty separated uh, from it, right? This is an account on Twitter, and uh, like, who is really doing that? Uh, are we really saying to our sysadmins that they have to ask every employ employees if they have some uh, company-related social account on Twitter, Facebook? Uh, YouTube or or whatever, and is that responsibility of the security team or uh, even the IT team or whatever? I think that's something. Maybe someone is doing it, and I hope so, right? But I think that's something that we are probably, as an industry, right, uh, a little, um, you know, f forgetting about. Uh, so actually, it's, it's this be mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Please go ahead. No, no, it's it's completely separated from from your uh, your environment. You're not really managing it, but still, it's something that is com is directly correlated with the company. So technically, yep. right, we should ca yep. take care about it. Exactly. This is what I try to highlight. It since two twenty twenty, I had that topic in the in the one of the DefCon conferences. Also, I talking about something called Scope X. Because as a consultant, I realized that in every project, we heavily rely on the scope. We said, okay, this is the scope of the devices that we want to analyze for whatever reason. And this is out of the scope, whatever we believe is not less significant to be analyzed. But there is a third scope. I call it scope X, and this is called unknowns. And this is kind of the information that, especially after the pandemic and uh, rapid digitalization and transformation, digital transformations, there are a lot of online online activities and user men probably use their own device to do their company uh, uh, related task also so the huge amount of the information related to the work and daily activities are there and i'm not sure if anyone really monitoring them so this is where i think our threat intelligence team should come to the picture that proactively okay. go and use a different techniques like the threat feed threat intelligence techniques the OSINT to collect all the informations that somehow related and may have impact on our business. And then do a very simple thread modeling to try to, to discover and identify the potential risk. For example, in this case, so I think it's pretty practical if we do the proactive, uh, like the thread hunting on red teaming to come to check whether the, the, the phone is secure, the configurations are there, because when we use the third party, or for example, cloud, we cannot say 100% we are secure. So the problem with the cloud environment is that operation-wise is perfect. So we are just up in the cloud, everything operation is good until the incident happened. There are a lot of blind spots there. Because being on the cloud is something, whether our cloud configured well is another thing. So we should have both of these things on the on the picture and uh, as a part of the overall cybersecurity strategy. Absolutely. And, and we actually have like another news that is around the same topic. So we, we, we will go back to that uh, in a bit. Um, so it's, it's uh, again, this is very interesting. And as you said, 
I think threat modeling is the, the, the key here, right? If someone is really determining, okay, what are the risks that my organization is really facing? And uh, of course, they, they'll get to know, okay, we actually have some uh, social presence on different, maybe social media. And we, have, we are this type of company, right? Could be something like, like this, but this same article, actually, I'm going to share the, uh, the links of the articles in the description, by the way, if you want to um, uh, maybe uh, read them yourself. Actually, you definitely should just not stick to what we are saying. Uh, do your own research, do your own, uh, you know, make your own opinions. That's very, very important. Um, so what I was saying is that the article is actually mentioning another event that uh, affected, uh, I believe, Mandiant, uh, or I think so. Uh, so another another company will face the same thing. So their Twitter or X profile was compromised, right? So it's not exactly. something that only the SAC is facing. And this is very important things. So when something happened for another company, we should not sit and think, oh, it's never happened for us. Maybe we are the next. So when we have that intelligence, our threat hunting team should formulate the hypothesis around that, go and check all the potential attack surfaces, entry point to our organization, and proactively check without the things happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just to confirm, uh, yeah, just read it. It's, uh, it was mandiant. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, around the same time, actually, I think a week or so uh, before, uh, their 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 X account was compromised as well, and uh, that time was a little different because the uh, the attacker shared a link to uh, steal uh, some cryptocurrencies. So the, uh, the the kind of trap or threat was uh, just a little different. But you know, once again, they were targeting a social media account. Maybe I don't know. Mandiant is, is for sure a very, very you know secure company because they are in the security industry. But still, you know, this is something that is just a little uh, separated for from their internal environment or their cloud environment. I don't know even how to uh, you know consider uh, the social media accounts itself. It's not really cloud. It's something on a third-party platform, and it's uh, it's it's very tricky. So definitely anyone potentially could face this kind of issues uh definitely could be a, a big image damage image uh, damage for the organization and uh uh it's it's probably uh you know the goal of the security team understand that that's one of the risks right that the organization mm -hmm. is facing and uh you know consider that as well i think that's that's the problem uh now in how to prevent it uh that's that's gonna be tricky in my opinion for sure that the the automatic thing that comes to my head is that you should implement uh, the multi-factor authentication that anyone is uh um is uh, uh, you know uh implementing right now or any social media platform you can do that uh so if you can do that you probably should uh, and i think uh, at some point twitter say that they run their own investigations and um, uh, the account had not the um, the MFA enabled in this case. So maybe that could have been a way to prevent it, but also it really depends on, I think, which um, which medium you use for the multi-factor authentication. Because once again, we were talking about uh, SIM swap and attackers uh, 
messing around with your phone number, if you use your phone number and maybe an SMS for, for your multi-factor authentication, maybe that's not the best way to do it. I no, mean, it's exactly it's remind me that typical example that when the server crash and we ask for the update uh, for the backup, the backup is in the same server. So exactly you <laughs> highlighted the good point. So the article says that the 2FA was not, um, was not activated. Even if it was activated, it depends, as you said, in which medium. So if I have a double authentication factor and by chance it's based on the SMS, so and my phone number already compromised, so the attacker can easily read that to to multiple uh, to um, factor authentication as well because he has a control of our our uh, messages. Right. So just before we we jump on the next news, I saw uh, um, a comment in the in the chat from Fabio. By the way, hi Fabio, you're you're always there. Thank you for that. Um, uh, so he's uh, he's basically asking, what if I don't have a dedicated uh, dedicated you know threat intelligence team? Uh, in my in my organization to to you know do all of the research and uh, threat intel and maybe threat modeling as well and uh, I'm in a very small team and I have to do a lot of stuff already right so I, how can I um, uh, you know address this what what, what would you say uh, Mason so that's a very good question because this is what we we currently practice as well. So when it comes to the threat intelligence and security, first of all, we shouldn't think about $100,000 uh, solutions that may be difficult for the uh, SMEs, small to medium-sized companies to, to, to purchase. First of all, there is no 100% security. When we said we should have a threat intelligence and monitor everything, definitely we cannot monitor everything. We can be 100% secure. We just should make life harder for the attackers. As long as we are not low-hanging fruits, as long as we can not be the easy target for the attackers, I think that's a good step. So for that, there are plenty of the open source and free tools that can be easily installed and do the automate for you. So we just need to install to key in our keyword that we want to search and like a daily, daily monitoring. I don't want to whitelist any tool here, but in my LinkedIn day-to-day, -day, I post a lot of tools and all of them open source, all of them free to use that can easily help you to monitor and at least to deal with the known knowns. So because we should automate what we know, to be honest, by one of my friends, Charles, always says that we should automate what we know and we focus on the what we don't know. At least 80% of this stuff, we may be able to detect by using the simple monitoring. Like just we, we highlighted, the same attack happened for the other companies. So a simple threat intelligence tell us about this issue may ring the bell in our in our mind to go and check are we vulnerable to the same issue or not. So we don't need to necessarily think big, even if we, we start with a small and piece by piece we form a puzzle, that would be good. The main important thing is that we should do something and proactively. Mm -hmm. and not just sit until something happens and then we go to the war room and say, okay, what to do now? <laughs> <laughs> No, I perfectly agree with you, especially with the thing that, you know, we, we talk a lot about everything we should do, but we know that that's not always possible and we cannot do everything. And the, pro the point for me is uh, establishing some priorities based on your specific company, right? Maybe your company has an high risk on protecting their, um, their social media accounts. Maybe another one doesn't have any uh, or mm -hmm. don't really use them. 
So it depends on your company. And uh, if I can uh, just uh, uh, make a very, very uh, pretty smaller uh, you know, suggestion, the point is that maybe if you're watching this, right, and if you, are, if you are reading this news and if you know that this is happening to other companies, this is already uh, just a little bit of research, right? The fact that you are aware that this is a kind of threat that your company or other companies could face, it's the first step, right? And then you could decide whether this could be uh, a high priority for your company or not, and maybe start a project or a, a list of the activities, you know, to target that specifically. So I really think it's very important to dedicate some time for every single professional uh, to, to, you know, inform themselves, to read uh, what's happening out there. And, and I think this is one of the uh, big goals of, of this project as well. We are not only reading uh, altogether, but we are also uh, discussing about it to understand to understand it better, right? So I can read this by myself, but just the fact that I'm talking about it with Mason and with you guys, I think it's much, much, uh, you know, um, uh, better than than by myself. So thank yeah, you. Thank you for... Here. Yeah, as we said, we can just start with a small, just read like five to 10 minutes daily about top security news, think and apply. For example, the day that you share, uh, Giorgio, the, the, the news for me, the first thing I check, I went to my, uh, my Twitter account to double check that whether the SMS base is, <laughs> is enabled or not. So thanks God it not. So for example, this news tell us about multi-factor authentication, a simple research tell us there are three ways, either SMS or phone-based, email-based or application-based. A simple research help us to identify which one is more secure. Imagine if we have like four to five news daily and then think and then we act, we are still not 100% secure, but definitely every day we are more secure than yesterday. Yeah, a, a, little, a little better than yesterday. And that, that, exactly. that's already something that's already good. Cool. Uh, not that this was not interesting, but we really need to jump to the next news uh, just to you know move forward. So um, uh, here's here's the second one. Uh, I really thought this was so interesting, and we're still you know uh, talking about uh, a little you know Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. But nowadays, uh, you know maybe I don't know. You know unfortunately, we are always are um, yeah, discussing about it when we're talking uh, about you know uh, threats and cybersecurity. Uh, but this is a little, little different. So basically, uh, um, uh, you know, once again in the U.S. in California, uh, a man who really um, was targeted by a, um, uh, you know, an attack against their cryptocurrency wallet uh, on uh, I think it was um, Coinbase or one of those exchanges. Uh, lost uh, around, you know, $100,000 in cryptocurrency. Um, and, uh, you know, he is now trying to regain at least some of those, um, uh, some of those financial losses. So the, the interesting thing is that, you know, uh, doing some investigation together with the, their lawyer, uh, they found out that um, the, uh, which was the, the final um, uh, Bitcoin address, which received the amount of money that was stolen from, from the, this person, okay? And again, if you don't know this already, it's true that uh, the blockchain and the you know, cryptocurrency uh, uh, technologies are uh, some way anonymizing you, 
but they are not anonymizing the transactions. Actually, you are able to look at them and exactly see where the money is going from and to. Okay, so there are some companies that are doing that. They are tracking uh, transactions and trying to understand who is behind those wallets. It's not there. There's not you know name and surname for each address, but at least you can see exactly where the money is going from and to. Now they they got uh, where the money uh, went eventually. So they identified an address in the in the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, and the point is that they uh, they wanted to uh, sue, you know, the, the 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 attacker who did this. The point is that at least for the U.S. legislation, you have to, uh, you know, communicate to the person you are suing that you are doing it, right? And usually, what you would have done uh, will be something like go in person, right, and uh, uh, give give um, uh, some papers to them. Or recently, you could have sent an email just to say, you know, I'm, I'm basically suing you, just for you to know. Uh, but in this case, you don't know what's behind uh, the address, right? You don't know uh, who to communicate this. The thing is that um, uh, the, the person here who was granted the permission to, to use the, block, the blockchain itself to do that. What does it mean? They basically sent a payment to that address because they know the address, even if, it, if they don't know the, uh, the name of the, of the person. So they sent something like $100, uh, $100 in Bitcoin. And uh, there's an option in the, uh, in the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, blockchain that you, uh, permits you to add a, a message or just some metadata, a string of, um, of something in it. And they basically included a link to the, uh, to the paper uh, for 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 the uh, for the case, okay. So the point is that they were able to sue someone without really knowing who that person is, and I think this is already pretty interesting by itself. Like we really thought, uh, okay, uh, you're uh, you're anonymous, so no one can really address you in, in any way. So apparently in the US, you you can start to do that even if you're uh, just uh, moving cryptocurrency, and um, um, there was another thing here that was interesting. Um, uh, you know, just, just the fact that they basically know that the, this, that specific address is already investigated by, you know, the um, government agencies in, in the US, right? Uh, the point is that, and I think this is interesting, we read a lot about, you know, um, uh, police or some agencies, um, um, uh, you know, gathering cryptocurrencies or money that were stolen, and we we celebrate that, right? Because they they did uh, uh, catch someone, they did uh, you know recover some money or something. But what we don't know or we don't think about is that is that money even uh, uh, given to the the right people after that, or just you know it's seized by by the attackers uh, from the attackers. And then no one is really considering, okay, I will take this money that were, that were stolen and we'll give it back uh, to someone. Uh, that's a little tricky and it's not anyone's fault, of course. It's just very, very difficult with bureaucracy and everything uh, start to um, give that money back to the right people because you have to ensure it was actually those people, those people money. But it's a, I think it's an interesting topic especially uh, for us that we usually 
um, just focus on the technological part of it, right? But the point is that people are losing their savings, the people are losing their, their money. So there are consequences uh, behind this, this kind of attacks. Now, again, there's a lot about it. We are talking once again about a SIM, SIM swapping attack. Uh, so, so maybe that, that could be interesting already, but I want to hear your, your first thoughts about it. Uh, what do you think, uh, Mason? So again, this is a good example of the being lazy when it comes to the cybersecurity. So we are users and by nature, we like ease of use. Mm. So right. we use the same password in the different platform. We don't like to key in a few more steps to log into our account. So the same user in the same platform, if using a proper, again, multi-factor authentication means a second medium, um, more than just username and password, he could have saved that money. So when it comes to the cybersecurity, we have three angles that we have to take care. The ease of use, cost, and functionality. And we should always sacrifice one for the sake of the other two. So personally, I think if we bother ourselves daily a little bit by having more security controls there, sacrifice the ease of use, we and a little bit of functionality, we can enjoy to have more, more security. This is not only for this account. I have been uh, discussing with a lot of friends last week that even the Instagram account get hijacked for the mm. same, for the same reason. Okay. So it's yeah. <laughs> so I think it really should be a common practice amongst the security awareness for the especially the normal users to just put more security controls in in place. Yeah, we sacrifice ease of use, but we may enjoy security more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, once again, this type of this type of attack was uh, targeting um, you know the the cryptocurrency exchange platform right in uh, the account of the the specific person and uh, even if the person uh, thinks okay i'm secure because i have enabled uh, mfa the thing is that uh, once again you know we are talking about multi-factor authentication so you're not using just your credentials just your password you're also using a, a third um at least a third you know a uh, uh, element so account password and then something like it could be your phone number where you receive an sms but it could be like an application on your smartphone that generates the those uh, uh you know uh, one-time codes that you have to uh to type in every time the thing is that so many platforms platforms are still uh using and and uh, enabling users to use the uh the sms as a as a way to uh, to implement multi-factor authentication, but that's really, um, you know, it was exploited so, so many times and it's, it's, it's known uh, in the security industry. That it's not really a secure way to do it. It's better than nothing for sure. But uh, the point is that I think that probably the platforms should stop, you know, to enable that from, from the very beginning, because if it's not really secure, right? There's no reason in order in uh, in in uh, permitting that, you know. Just force users to uh, to use other means. So maybe I don't know the, the application on the smartphone, or even uh, sometime you can use a, a hardware token, right? That, that they will send you, or that they, maybe you have to purchase. Um, that's 
that's much more secure. There's no SIM swap you know, attack that can target that. Of course, there will be other specific attacks that also target those, but they are more complicated and um, you know, uh, less, uh, less effective, let's say, no? Uh, now, I, I'm not, I don't know if you have uh, an opinion on this, like, should we enable, uh, I don't know, maybe the, the, um, uh, the more uh, old people who are not really um, uh, so comfortable in using smartphones and everything to receive an SMS, or should we force the same people to, to learn how to use maybe an app uh, for, for, for the sake of his own security, right? So that's that's another traditional classic question that what to do because uh, most of the time when we bring more security it may more put barrier for the some certain of the people which is not in the very high level of the knowledge about the IT and 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 stuffs so and unfortunately this is the fact that we have to sacrifice security for functionality and for the customer customer experience but uh, another thing that should, I, I would like to highlight here that so far the way that we discuss is like we put all the blame on the, <laughs> on the users. I think this is responsibility of the service providers as well. So uh, to me, it's very weird that these things happen because it's against the normal baseline monitoring, especially for the big companies. So if I notice that my users connect with this trusted device for this just a geographical location and then out of the sudden i have out of the time from the another device from the another um, location i think there should be some certain of the security check with the with the companies as well and it's quite surprised me for those big for those big companies or uh, financial in a situation that just okay this user connect from another device miles away from his current uh, unusual uh, location and they were just fine with that yeah, that, that's that's really true, actually. And yeah. uh, I think oh, the... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there could be some reasons. I'm not gonna, you know, uh, uh, say everything, but uh, the, the, I think they also considered the, that because um, the the guy here also sued um, Coinbase itself because of the mm -hmm. same reason. Like mm -hmm. there were some, uh, uh, as they say, some clear evidences that. It was not me accessing my own wallet, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So they should have prevented it or just blocked it uh, before before you know uh, the, the money were stolen. And I kind of agree with you. For sure, we could, as an organization, implement some uh, you know behavioral based uh, detections, right? So uh, again, uh, depending on which um, which device the user is using, which uh, IP address is uh, logging in from, so which region uh, is logging in from, and uh, and you know uh, other other factors as well. Also understand, okay, maybe this is not you know the if I take all of these patterns, all of these identificator um, indicators, um, maybe this is not the same user that was connecting you know last time or just last week or last month, and you know. Uh, something they could have done was uh, could, could have been something like, okay, let's block this this login, send an email to the user and say, oh, is this you, right? We, we received this kind of emails from, from many uh, different services nowadays. And especially when we talk about something so, so valuable, like, you know, again, my savings, my money, my cryptocurrencies, uh, that's surely what I would expect, 
right? At the same time, I would also understand, okay, maybe if I prevent the person to, to get access to their money, uh, they could sue me for, for that reason as well. So it's a, it's a, very, it's a very tricky uh, industry. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so, so it depends. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I, th- there's another topic that I really don't want to take right now. Like we have seen other um, exchanges that were not really, uh, let's say, uh, uh, doing the best in the, in the, in the industry, uh, permitting, uh, you know, money laundering and stuff. I don't know about Coinbase so far, right? Uh, but that could be another reason uh, why they do not really implement very strong uh, measures, security measures. But we don't know yet. So maybe maybe this is not the case, and maybe this was this was just some sort of uh, you know lack. Actually, of- I'm not referring only to this because I'm not in depth to the technical that what right. they are doing at the background. I'm talking in general for all the yes. organizations that when we provide services for the customers, we have certain level of responsibility, and for that responsibility, we should consider some sort of the basic security controls. Yeah, I it, think this is where the next news will be. Yeah, will be yeah, highlighted. Yes. That's the important of when we talk about the responsibility when we are holding the people data. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, and this can happen to, to any any organization, any any company, yeah, uh, in any industry, right? So it's it's just something that we should be uh, able to do, right? Just uh, looking at the the you know behavior uh, based um, detections. So uh, that said, um, if if that's okay for you, uh, I will probably jump to the next news. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little reminder. So first of all, I'm sharing in the chat the links to the articles, so you can uh, deep dive yourself uh, on the on the news, do your own research, your opinions, and maybe you can maybe uh, let us know uh, your thoughts uh, after you read it. Even you know um, when. Uh, Live will be will be uh, finished. Definitely, I I encourage you to uh, to comment the, the video and let me know what uh, uh, what are your thoughts and maybe if you think something different than what we are saying because definitely uh, at least I can be wrong for sure, right? Uh, so uh, I want I want to learn from someone who, who knows more than me. So if you say um, that um, you think something is different than we are saying, please let us know. Uh, and uh, once again, I see some, you know, five to 10 people watching the live. Thank you for that. If you're, um, you know, if you like this, if you're um, enjoying this, please consider maybe subscribing to the channel so that, you know, uh, you will be uh, notified for the, all the next videos. And consider also looking at the, the previous 20 and more episodes. Uh, I, had, I had plenty of very awesome guys and, uh, and people uh, as guests, and hopefully I will have uh, a lot more in the future. Maybe Mason again, if I bother him again in the future, we will see. Um, so far, uh, let's... I like to be bothered in that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Uh, I, I'll take note, <laughs> you know. Um, okay, that's it. Let's jump to the to the third news here. I will uh, pass the link again in the chat in a second, but let me introduce it first. So um, this is uh, talking about an investigation by uh, Europol, okay, uh, that um, basically was notified by uh, uh, an unnamed uh, cloud provider. Okay, we don't know which one, but it's uh, apparently it's a, a, a decently decently big one. 
um, that um, a series of accounts were compromised uh, on that cloud platform. And um, eventually the attacker which gained access to it, um, uh, you know, gained some uh, admin privileges and used that, uh, that kind of um, privileges uh, to create, um, uh, they say, a, a million, <laughs> a million uh, machines, so a million uh, hosts that were all um, mining crypto cryptocurrencies. So I know it, uh, apparently it's all about crypto cryptocurrencies. This episode it was not, you know, uh, uh, made on purpose, but it's it's just what they they do. Uh, it's the best way they can make money, right? Uh, that uh, cybercrime can make money. Uh, so basically, they they um, they created this uh, uh, this million machine and they put all of this uh, to mine. So basically, to generate those uh, uh, those cryptocurrency um, and uh, eventually they gained something like uh, a two million dollars um, worth of cryptocurrency with this uh, uh, with this attack right here and. Um, I think this we don't have many uh, like many details about how it happened, where it happened, and so on and so forth. But I think it's very interesting to see like how this how this happened and uh, why they didn't uh, found out about this. I don't know if that makes sense, right? Uh, a million different virtual machines in your own cloud environment, right? That were not there before because they say they created it on purpose. And uh, uh, that's a lot if you think about how, how much you're going to pay monthly that cloud provider, right? So a cloud environment is something that you pay per use most of the time, right? So the more machines you have, the more um, you know, um, uh, CPU processing you do, and the more you pay usually on a monthly basis as, a, as an organization. The fact that someone goes in there and suddenly creates a million different machines, and they're all using uh, their CPUs um, at you know at full full capacity to to generate those cryptocurrency. This should you know uh, alert you immediately, at least for the money you are using uh, for uh, for just using the, the cloud platform, right? Uh, I don't know it's it's interesting how they you know they they can be uh, undetected with something like this. But it happens, and it says a lot on the on the current state of the industry. If you if you don't if you know what I mean, what do you think? So this exactly something that sometimes surprises me, even with many of my clients here. So while we are talking about sophisticated attack, AI-based data, I don't know, big data solutions for cybersecurity, we are still suffering from the basics, and and that's the real pain in this in this industry, as you said. This is nothing some like a rocket science. This is a very minimum baseline analysis that you, the cloud provider is technically based on the pay per use. And then suddenly you can see the increase in the spike of the use of the resources. And then even a simple volumetric, I think, analysis should relieve this. But the point is that I think all of these things issue is because of the scoping. We don't have the proper scoping for monitoring. We do monitoring, we do have monitoring in the place, but what we monitoring is another another issue is that are everything, all the assets are under the our monitoring umbrella or not? Most of the cases, most of these issues happen because of the unattended, unknown 
uh, assets and processes that we may not even exist of their, uh, uh, may not even aware of their existence. They are not necessarily inherited the, the security of the, the parent security, and they are not even under monitoring radars. So, and that's lead to this kind of the issues. So that's why we said, seriously, it was simple. It can be easily detected. Yes, we can protect only what we know. But what if we have no idea about what is going on in our environment? That's why knowing ourselves, knowing our environment, I think is a key a factor in every cybersecurity strategies. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like what really... Um you know, drives me crazy is the fact that even if you are not really monitoring your cloud environment in this case, right? Eventually you'll got, um, uh, um, how do you call it? Um, you know, a request for, for a payment from the cloud provider, right? Uh, you really have definitely to understand that there's something wrong with that amount if someone is using your cloud environment. So maybe it's not the best way to know about it for sure, right? We want to uh, be aware of maybe the user compromise uh, at the first place, right? Maybe of the, the fact that um, it's actually specified in the, the article that uh, they gained access brute forcing uh, the access. So once again, it, it means that they were able to do it. It means that maybe MFA was not there, right? To, to prevent uh, the, the kind of attack. And it, if it's not clear, brute force mean, means just that you are trying so many different uh, combination of passwords for the same user until you eventually get to the to the right one. Um, so uh, so just the fact that they were able to do it uh, already says a lot on the uh, configuration of, of, of their platform. Um, but but yeah, it's just uh, it's just very interesting to see uh, how big this was and uh, how they didn't get it at the first place. Now there's a yes, um, the problem is that nowadays we mainly focus on the anomalies. Okay, detect anomalies, do the behavior analysis, identify something which is not usual. But we should come one step back before we can able to detect anomalies. We should define what is the norm. Yeah, that's why that's this is something that I always tell to my client and to myself, understand your environment, at mm. least monitor, not on that depth, in the some reasonable certain level, that you know what is defined as a normal in your environment. And then yeah. any deviation from that should becomes we should goes under monitoring. Any deviation from what we define as a normal. Yeah, that, that that's really, really true. I also, you know, uh, uh, you know, face the kind of issue in my daily work, but I also understand that that's really difficult as well, right? Because the bigger is the, the company, the bigger is the organization, the um, uh, the more difficult it is to, to define what's normal because you have so many different uh, employees, you have so many different maybe offices and units. Maybe if you are talking about a multinational company, you have also different sites in different countries. So I, I also understand that it's a big challenge. I agree, yeah. you should do that, right? Um, but definitely the bigger is the company, the, the, the more difficult that is. Exactly, exactly. But again, we are not aimed as having 100% security, but Absolutely. at least we should do something. <laughs> sure, sure. Every, yeah. every you know, uh, effort is, exactly. is aiming to increase the bar at, at least a little bit, mm -hmm. right? And it's just better yeah. than, than before. Now, there, there was a, uh, an interesting question in the, uh, in the comments here uh, by Nothing Secure. Uh, 
so always law enforcement tracing and recovering Bitcoin payments. Now, maybe this was, um, you know, related to the previous uh, to the previous news. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is that in this specific case, so in the uh, uh, in the cryptocurrency mining uh, news uh, that was got from from Europol, uh, it was the cloud provider itself which found out something was wrong. Okay, so not the not the customer, not the customer was affected, but the uh, the provider itself. So let's say it's not this case, but maybe it was AWS, maybe it was Azure, maybe it was uh, Google Cloud. Uh, they contacted uh, law enforcement and said, you know, something is wrong here. Maybe we should do an investigation together so we can, you know, uh, you know, block this. But also, of course, the um, the the goal from uh, from law enforcement is actually to catch the bad guys so they will stop doing bad things, right? Uh, also later. In the previous news, um, uh, you know, where they, they found out about the specific address, uh, Bitcoin address in the blockchain uh, that um, uh, that was owned by, by the attackers, it's, uh, in my experience, it's mostly about tracking the transactions on the blockchain itself. So as we said, uh, the blockchain is something that lets you be anonymous, so you will not put your own uh, name and address when you open uh, your, um, uh, let's say, your account, your address on it. But everything that is happening on the blockchain is traceable. Okay, every transaction, every time you move some uh, information or some cryptocurrency from an address to the other, is there, is public, is open for anyone to read. Now, there are companies and there are law enforcement as well who are doing that as a daily job, right? See, anytime there is a big movement of money from one or more address to, to another one, in that way, they can, uh, you know, um, uh, they, they can trace the money and eventually uh, use maybe some other correlations with the third parties to understand who is behind the address. So I hope that's, uh, that answered the, the question. So having said that, it's not completely anonymous, but finding the details is very challenging considering it needs a very complicated legal cases, a very close coordination with many parties. It's not as easy task that we say, okay, this is a step that they can easily do that. It's really complex procedure. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, once again, when uh, multiple countries are involved, right, and multiple law enforcement from multiple multiple countries are involved. Mm -hmm. It's not like... I can do everything by myself. I need to contact that other unit. I need to contact and to, uh, you know, work together with many different, um, both organizations, private organizations and uh, public administrations and law enforcement. So it's very difficult. And that's also the reason why it takes so, uh, so much time to do it usually, right? So I really I hope think it's, that it's, it, it can be considered that some, that, that kind of rules that only applicable in the, in the lab environment. <laughs> Not really yeah. practical in the real world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like, okay, law enforcement are doing this and I can do this by myself. It's, it's yeah. definitely not, not doable most of the time. You can do a little, you know, um, um, you know work, like laboratory work to understand it better. That, that's, that's cool. That's okay. Actually, do it if you, if you like so you can develop some knowledge. But to actually trace someone usually takes a lot of efforts, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of, you know, uh, time also. Um, okay. So, um, another 
very little topic that I think we could uh, briefly talk about um, regarding this news is the fact that, um, you know, not only the attacker that is doing um, uh, cryptocurrency mining addressing your environment is basically using your own power, right? So the, the, the fact is that they're going to use your servers, they're going to use your computers and your devices uh, to generate the, that money. And to do that, they're going to use uh, most of the capacity of uh, those devices' CPU. So it means that we'll also struggle to use them for any other, uh, you know, um, related um, or unrelated job. Okay, so let's say that your users are going to struggle just doing their daily jobs because someone else is uh, mining cryptocurrency from their laptop. So that's the first uh, kind of problem that this kind of attack uh, will cause on your environment. The other thing is that <clears throat> using a lot of CPU also means that the computer or the server will um, consume a lot more of energy. Okay, just electric, electric energy. And it means that not only uh, if, you're, if you have something on-premises, if you have your own data center, you're spending a lot more on, uh, on, on, the, on the energy uh, that is consumed. And on the cloud environment, like in this case, you're spending just a lot more uh, to pay to that, um, uh, to that cloud provider, right? So the point is that you're not only... Um, losing uh, working capability, let's say, because your uh, environment will, uh, uh, will be less uh, functional, but also you are losing money because they are basically uh, make you spend for, for their own income, right? So there's this double um, damage that you are going to face, which is uh, pretty interesting. And I'm saying this because uh, I had some conversations, some discussions maybe with uh, some customers of mine uh, where they say, okay, maybe we found a, crypto miner in a laptop, it's, it's not a big deal. They're not blocking anything. Uh, what was, you know, what's the matter, right? There is, there actually is a problem and the problem can be huge, especially if that crypto miner is gonna, you know, infect all the rest of your environment. So you want definitely to detect it and you want to block it where, where you know, uh, where it is right now and prevent it to spread into your environment, right? Because the more computers are doing that, the more money the attacker will will uh, eventually gain, right? So it's definitely on their uh, on their uh, goal. So another thing that which is very important, I always share amongst the friend about the clients and with the student is that we should always concern about security, even if we think there is no direct impact or loss. For example, I use this always as an as an example. Picture this: you just go to the shopping and buy the new laptop, nothing installed on it. You just connect it to your internet and leave it as it is. It's still the attackers interested to hack that machine because they are going to use the resources there and actually use your PC as a barrier between themselves and authorities. So when I said directly, maybe directly is not impact your resources, your financial or what anything, but if they use your um, resources to initiate attack about the others, you are the one who, who first faced the first phase of the legal issues. <laughs> and I don't think anyone wants to have that, that headache. So then <laughs> better be careful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's important to, uh, to, to, 
you know what you you to mention because the point is that maybe today you see just you detect about a crypto miner right but uh unless you really go there take that malware and do some malware analysis you don't know what that malware can also do later or what the attacker can actually deploy later via their command and control right so maybe exactly. they're just doing crypto mining today to, tomorrow they will spread into your environment maybe in two days they will start doing i don't know denial of service to uh to a third party I'm from there. Or, or ransomware of course but you know the point is that there are many many different options you mm -hmm. will not know from the very beginning what's the final goal of the attackers right or if they will pivot to something else so you know if we saw if we see something bad just go and block it do not think about oh no, this is not that bad i don't want to block my my server because of it yeah you want to to block it because otherwise there will be much worse consequences uh maybe maybe in few days or in few hours right uh so so it really depends um okay uh so what do you think should we jump to the final news uh i think yes yep because that's uh, interesting news also sad and okay. interesting <laughs> yeah uh, i just have an issue here with uh of course i didn't pay my <laughs> my worry yeah. uh, uh, i think there should be another about... link yeah so uh anyway i don't think it's a big deal because i remember what what it talks about right um so the point here is that and this is a very big news in, in my point of view right um so this time we're not talking about uh, uh an attack let's say or just not uh, about uh um uh not an attacker that is breaching a company or something but we're talking about um, research from security researchers, uh, with the, which found out about um, um, uh, third-party service provider, right? Um, which works with uh, many different, uh, actually thousands of schools in the U.S., but also around the world, and is, uh, for what I understood, uh, basically storing data and documents for for them, right? It's, it's kind of some kind of uh, a cloud storage uh, provider. Now, the point is that this researcher um, found out that um, some, some of this storage, some of these buckets, some of these, let's say, uh, maybe databases or something, were actually exposed for a certain amount of time to the public internet, meaning that anyone searching for that or just, you know, uh, um, searching something correlated could have you know, found it and accessed the documents and read all the documents, maybe, maybe, just maybe, um, downloaded some or all of them, okay? Now, this could seem like some, uh, you know, we, 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 we read a lot of this type of things. We hear about uh, um, a lot of this, uh, these things. And usually, you know, most of the time you read about something like this, it's always uh, related to... Uh, okay, um, the privacy of the users because there's my data in there, there's my name, there's my address, maybe there's my ID or something else. And that's for sure a big deal, right? It's definitely a big deal. Now, I just think this is uh, on a totally different level because the kind of documents that were stored on those, um, uh, uh, on, 
for that, from that provider was containing not only information about the students, the staff from the school, and also a lot of um, you know, uh, third parties that are working with the school or just you know, the parents uh, of the students and so on and so forth, but also a lot of um, uh, procedures about what to do in case of emergencies in, uh, uh, in those schools, right? And we're talking about uh, how to escape from the school if anything wrong is happening, where do you're, you're going to hide in case something wrong is happening. People that are, um, you know, uh, that are considered uh, like a, a risk for, for the school or the, um, uh, or the students, right? Maybe someone who had a, a, um, a past of some kind of actions that could be harmful for the students and so on and so forth. So the point is that, in, unfortunately, we know about um, a series of, you know, events that happened uh, in the U.S., but also, you know, can, can definitely happen somewhere else uh, where um, some people are targeting schools uh, and, uh, you know, maybe you have some sort of uh, uh, attacks uh, uh, that could uh, address and target schools as well. I mean, physical attack, not only cyber attacks, which is pretty, pretty concerning. And the fact that someone or anyone on the internet could know in advance where those um, uh, students will, were going to hide or uh, where are, going to, are, are they going to escape, or even there was some details about, okay, this security camera is not working or this door uh, is not closing correctly, right? So you can also find out about the vulnerabilities, the physical vulnerabilities of that specific school. It's very, very concerning to me, and I think uh, it's probably should be, uh, you know, uh, for for anyone else, right? So there were a lot of very, very sensible data uh, that, you know, they were public. Now the provider is saying that they did some investigation, and then the, they found out that no one accesses those files uh, before they actually close the access. But unfortunately, in my experience, the point is that you will never know until someone we will will actually uh exploit those those same information now we could talk about for sure the implication of that kind of data that were uh published and uh, we of course could um uh, try to talk about why did that happen you know no one did exfiltrated that data Th those data were already there in public and why that even happened right so uh, once again what's your first thoughts about this so I think this is not even considered as a cyber attack, right? Because the data publicly available on the internet and anyone with the internet can has the access with or without authorizations. So this is because of the, the lack of the security measures. Actually, they left the data unintentionally um, available for the publics. And of course, the main risk there is a data exposure when the uh, all the people can access to the data or even download the data and not necessarily everyone has a good intention. This uh, data could be used for the identity theft, could be used for the financial scams, could be used for the blackmailing. Any competitive advantage, like they can sell this to the, to the businesses because one of the records that really make me uh, make the more concern is the, what you call, at-risk students. Those who are under the protection for any reason or have some kind of the medical information, and these are, I think, super duper <laughs> uh, 
sensitive information. That's why earlier I said when we provide some services to the users, when we uh, collect this sensitive data from the users, we have certain level of the responsibility. So we can't just simply put them in the open uh, access data without any monitoring, without using any security control, any authentication, any encryption, and any regularly monitoring, and wait until something happens. So in this case, the good things is that the guy who identified this is one of the white hackers who immediately informed the, the authorities to take action. But the, the challenge is that no one knows for how many days, months, or years the data have been there and who actually access to them. So this is where that is alarming. And I think all the schools should be ready for the consequences. Yeah, not only that, uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things there. Um, like we should be accountable we should be you know uh, uh, concerned about this now who's we what i mean is that in this case we have the schools right who owns the data okay these data are from the schools itself then we have the uh the service provider right who owns the, the technology and the storage we storing the data and eventually which uh, you know it was them them who uh, published uh, or just you know misconfigured let's say uh, the technology to to public the data um, on the other end we also have um, and this could be a little of a if you want an ethical uh, topic the researcher right who found out about the documents of course, they did, you know, the best that they um, uh, they could have done, like communicate to the right people and uh, make sure that it was, uh, um, you know, fixed so that the data was not there anymore. But I also uh, I also was thinking the news goes into pretty um, pretty more uh, pretty much details about what kind of documents were there. Okay, there was this kind of document, there was this kind of document. They did not publish any sensible information, right? But the types of documents let me think that they actually went in there and read a lot, right? Okay, I understand you're doing this for, let's say, a good purpose because you want to, um, to communicate to the provider, but did you really have to read all of it, right? And uh, maybe also let the, I don't know, the world know that there are all of those information in there. What, what I'm don't saying is I think actually that... they read all because uh, I read the article from the main author who find it and they, they okay. never said that they access to all and they read all. They said just partially. Actually, okay. this is part of the investigation. So we as a threat hunter and incident responders, we, saw, we see a lot and this is part of the job because we have to read to the certain level to realize Oh, damn, this is something serious. I think this has actually happened in this case. They not intentionally go and read. They partially find the information and they start investigating until the point they realize, oh, okay, this is something serious and we have to, to ring. And this is part of the process. We can't avoid that because we have to read in order to identify the risk. Right. And, and, and I agree with that, right? Uh, I just like the... Uh, uh, to, to to talk about it right because maybe for mm -hmm. someone there uh it's, it's not that clear right that this mm -hmm. time was not really an attacker was someone that was doing this for for their own uh, um you know uh, security research uh tasks so okay let's say that from the security researcher perspective 
this was actually a, a good intention, right? They did this uh, with a specific purpose. Now we have the schools themselves, which are just you know uh, giving their data to a third party, and maybe and and again I'm doing the devil's advocate here. Maybe they are not really ensuring that the provider is doing the best to secure their data. Okay, so what about that? Or is is it's all fault of the provider? We should take care of the configuration, and that's all. I mean, there are all of these parties involved, and it's not always that clear who, who is accountable for it. So that's why we said the security is everyone's responsibilities. See, I cannot just simply come to you and say, can you keep my phone for a while? And then okay. if something happens, I come and put all the blame on you. This is yeah. my responsibility also to check beforehand that are you a reliable person? to actually have that credit to hold my sensitive things. So this is the entire process that even when we are, why we have like vendor assessment, vendor security assessment, third party security assessment, these assessments are implemented, are there, but we are not implementing it in the, in the right way. So there are a lot of practices that we can do when we want to engage a third party to make sure that they have a certain level of the understanding, awareness, and practices of the cybersecurity. So again, something that really shocking in the news that you choose for this episode is that majority of these things were not a rocket science, like a sophisticated, dedicated attacker has no life, you know, in the dark web with the hoodies and dark room. No, it was just misconfiguration, simple error, human error, something that can easily, easily be prevented. Yeah, absolutely. And, and unfortunately, most of the time it's like that, right? Most of the time it's yeah. actually, you know, a very easy way, you know, attackers had, had access to the environment. We, we talked about brute force. Brute force is a very, you know, mm. old thing. Most of the time during other episodes, we talked a lot about phishing and, you know, uh, via email, which, uh, which is uh, one of the oldest technologies we are using nowadays. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, that's... Once again, I think we should all be aware of that. that that's, that that's the first step. I know that I, I know that uh, as security practitioners, we like to deep dive in the latest technologies and in the latest you know exploits and uh, type of attacks that are very very high hand and uh, uh, very fancy sometimes. Uh, uh, some but the point is that. When we are actually doing our daily job, we should be aware that most of the attacks, most of the you know breaches out there are caused by the very, very easiest thing. Just because they yeah. are the, the, the most difficult to, to, to address, right? I'm not saying that we are all a bunch of stupid people because we are not able to do that. The point is that it's actually difficult when you have a very huge cloud provider to handle all of the configuration and maybe I, I'm sure that you know the fact that the data in this case was published was some kind of mistake. They didn't do it on purpose, right? I'm but, sure yeah. they know they have sensitive information that they have to prevent uh, the public to 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 get access to. So it definitely was a mistake. Now the thing is that still it's a very uh, bad thing that this happened, right? And the point is that once again that bar should be improved. So we should le learn a lesson from this that you know from this event, and uh, maybe the provider should implement stronger you know audits or controls on their admins 
to ensure they are uh, configuring everything good, maybe the schools should implement some controls on their providers, right? Uh, so they can ensure their data is also secure. Uh, and and uh, maybe if I if I need to include the security researcher as well, maybe I could have some sort of bug bounty program program that you know incentivate uh, people to uh, you know uh, try to exploit my my environment and let me know instead of breaching me, right? Instead of exploiting me, let me know uh, what I can do better. So there's al always something that we can understand, learn, exactly. and improve. So what I try to say is that I'm against something that I call popcorn security. Mm -hmm. Popcorn okay. security means that we just sit back, enjoy our popcorn until something happens, and then we start thinking what to do. So we should be proactive. We should really be proactive. Go and check. For example, when we want to get a third party or vendor, proactively ask them, have they done any security controls? What is their measure? At least there is some checklist. At least it's better than nothing. Not just blindly trust any because they are cloud provider, because they are service provider, because they are cheap, and which is very important. But we just use them. Because yeah. some damages are really critical. It can be easily just mitigated and controlled. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. And uh, just to add to that, most of, not, not most of the time, but uh, many, many times, it's not only the fact that maybe that provider is cheap, but it's also, oh, this is the provider that everyone is using, right? So I'm assuming that if, uh, if uh, uh, I'm handling a very little school, I'm going to be okay what all of the other schools are using, right? So it's going to be a, a no-brainer because everyone is using that, so I'm going to use that one as well. Maybe... I cannot even choose about it. Maybe it's something that the government is pushing me to. Okay, do you have to use this provider for some reason? I don't know how it works specifically in every country, right? So, uh, yeah, once again, I I am aware that it's not always that easy. But if you can do something, if you can check something, if you can do a little more, right? Yeah. definitely you should do it. In, in exactly, any, in because I'm agree with you. You're sitting here. In my room under the aircon with my nice camera and microphone and give the advice for cybersecurity is yeah. very easy. Right. But when it comes to the action, to the real practice, a lot of challenges is there that we may not aware of that. That's Absolutely. the issue. So the digital transformation rapidly accelerated, especially after the pandemics. Everything goes, dig goes uh, digital, communication. A lot of vendors come, vendors come, go shadow IT, we acquire another company. There are a lot of blind spots. But as you said, still, we better do something, even though it's small. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, one last thing, of course, you know, as you mentioned, this is not about us saying, was, uh, saying what's, uh, what's good and what's bad or what you should do and you're not doing. It's about having a conversation so we can all you know, learn something as, as individual, as security practitioners, or maybe just as people who are interested in the, in the field, right? Because there's a lot which uh, I learned, uh, you know, specifically reading the article first and then talking with, uh, with Mason and with you guys. And maybe someone who is watching this or will watch this in the future um, does not have my same knowledge and my same background just because maybe they are fresh out of school and they are learning something that they can maybe start to apply tomorrow, okay? I'm not saying this is something that, you know, uh, will, will make you ready for, for anything, but it's a, it's a very first, you know, 
block in your in your knowledge. At least it should be an input to once again do your own research, expand your knowledge, and maybe come back and teach us something. Uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, you know uh, uh, tomorrow. So maybe send me an email so I can uh, you know invite you as a guest on a, on a, on a one of the next episodes. So uh, I will say uh, this was really, really great. Thank you so much, Mason. It um, was really, really insightful. And thank you, everyone who you know who has been here uh, watching and um, listening to us. Uh, I've seen uh, you know uh, quite a, a bunch of people. So thank you for that. Once again, if you like this, please consider maybe subscribing to the to the channel so you will be notified when the next episode will be. Um, uh, will be published and will be live. I already have a schedule for a list of different, very, very awesome guests. Uh, so uh, thank you once again. Thank you, Mason. And, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks again for the opportunity. I really enjoy it. So I look forward for the upcoming one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And maybe maybe the next time that uh, I will invite you once again. Uh, sure. Yeah. Thank you again. Uh, see thank you the next you. time. Thank you, everyone.